Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. On today's episode, we sat down with Shauna and Alicia from Christine Ann. February was Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, and they hosted an amazing art event where teens submitted projects centered on the theme, Love Shouldn't Hurt. We discussed that event, how teen dating violence and youth substance use sometimes intersect, and how COVID is impacting teen violence, domestic abuse, and service offerings at Christine Ann. You can find more information by clicking the links in the show notes, including the art pieces from their February event and a toolkit for friends and family. We hope you enjoy this episode. As always, feel free to send suggestions for topics or guests to info at breakwaterwi.org or join the conversation by leaving a comment on our social media. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss an episode. Shauna and Alicia are up next. Shauna, Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. We're happy to be here. Of course. Would you do mind introducing yourselves and sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Shauna. I am the Youth and Prevention Advocate here at Christina and Domestic Abuse Services. So I get to work on the youth team. So I work with kids ages 4 to 19 who've been impacted by domestic abuse um, in any way. So whether they've been directly impacted or witnessed it. Um, and also teens who are in teen dating violent relationships. So I get to work with kids. We really focus in on safety planning, building their self-esteem, letting them know their worth, and also talking about healthy relationships, red flags in relationships, and healthy ways to cope with all those really difficult situations. So I get to meet with kids one-on-one. I always meet them where they're at. Our services are totally free and totally voluntary. I really get to just be an extra safe support person for them. I'm grateful to be able to be that. Thank you. Alicia? Yeah, my name is Alicia Garrig, and I'm the Communications and Partnership Specialist here at Christine Ann Domestic Abuse Services. So my primary role within the agency Um, I am part of our development team, so um, we're responsible for all the fundraising, and a big piece of my job is actually going into the community and doing presentations on domestic abuse, how to spot it, just educating our community about the things that we offer, so I get to talk a lot about a lot about what Shauna does um, just to the community. So she does the direct client stuff and I get to kind of spread the word about what it is that we do as an organization. And then I do a lot of the like fun marketing, branding, um, things like that. So nice to have both of you here today with, you know, perspectives on kind of different ends of the spectrum. Like you said, the direct client support and the kind of telling the story of that direct client support. So February was teen dating violence awareness month and we're here today to talk a little bit about teen dating violence can you tell me about it how big of an issue is it what do we see here locally yeah unfortunately it is um, a really prevalent issue Um, and just here in wisconsin alone one in five teens have experienced teen dating violence um, which is a lot one in five teens when you think about it Um, Also, we know that one in four teens in a relationship have been called names, harassed, or put down by a partner through their mobile devices. Um, We really highlight that a lot in schools right now since um, the era of COVID. People are using technology so much more. 
Um, so one in four teens, that's a lot. And also two and three teens who were in an abusive relationship never told anyone about it. So knowing that it really just highlights how important it is to be an extra safe support person for a teen. Um, we're just, we're here to listen to a teen, never to judge them. Um, but knowing that it is so prevalent, one in five teens experiencing teen dating violence, and then two and three never telling anyone about it. We know it's happening and we think it's really important to just normalize that conversation so people know that they're not alone and don't have to go through it alone. And I know it's referenced a lot, but the ACEs study, um, Adverse Childhood Experiences, says that having one safe adult in a kid's life can really help build resiliency and curb some of those adverse childhood experiences and help them have successful, happy, healthy lives in their future. So again, that's why we're here. We're here to be that safe person. You mentioned that one out of four teens is called a name or put down or experiences that teen dating violence through their mobile device. Is that something, have you seen over the last couple of years that becomes more common? Obviously with COVID, like you said, everybody's on technology a lot more and that's kind of the main social glue that's holding us all together at this point. Um, but even before COVID, were you seeing a difference in the use of technology or how that impacts teen relationships? What I've seen is it's just normalized that kids are being bullied or harassed or talk to in a not okay way through their mobile devices. And a, a big thing I've seen too is like tracking locations on Snapchat, you can do that. And I've heard kids tell me in a really confident way, yeah, 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 I do that, but it's it's not because I don't trust my partner. It's just, it's just so I know. Like, well, that's a red flag. You don't have to share your location with your partner. Your partner doesn't have to share their location with you. Um, and we really, really educate about why trust is so important. And if you trust your partner, there's no reason to monitor them like that. So I have seen that that's just normal for teens. And would you say that Snapchat is currently the most popular or what would you see as the most popular app or piece of technology that teenagers are using? Leisha, would you say it's TikTok? TikTok, yes. I would say TikTok has just kind of blown up recently. Um, and so TikTok's probably at the forefront of what teens are using right now, followed by Instagram and Snapchat. So you guys recently held an event where 6th to 12th grade students could submit art, and it was displayed at the Grind in Oshkosh. It was called the Love Shouldn't Hurt event, or that was the theme of the event. And the idea was for students to use any medium and submit artwork around that theme. How did it go, and what kind of pieces did you get yeah, well, the event went really well. Uh, for the first time of us ever hosting this event, uh, we received 44 pieces of art, which is incredible. Uh, we were really excited to see all the different types of art pieces that came in. And just like, again, for this being the first time that we host this event, to have that many art submissions is really wonderful to see that people were getting so excited about it. So we had different paintings, drawings, abstract art, 3D clay art, photography, and we really connected with the different local art teachers and really got uh, students involved that way throughout, throughout their classes and kind of implementing that into their programming, which was really wonderful to see you know, that type of uh, collaboration between us and art teachers. 
me. It was such a, a moving event because the theme of our of this entire event was love shouldn't hurt. And so all of the art pieces that came in were surrounding that topic. So it was really wonderful. Um, we got to see truly how like resilient individuals are through their art pieces and just how impactful art can be for somebody who is experiencing teen dating violence or an abusive relationship. Art can be a really great way and great coping skill, especially if you've gone through any sort of a trauma. So we were really excited to put on this event and open it up to teens in our community to participate in. I'm curious, did you see any of the trends with with social media or apps or technology reflected in any of those art pieces? That's a great question. I can't think of any of the pieces that were directly related. Is there anything you can share about the the pieces that you receive? Like, were there any, I know the theme was love shouldn't hurt, but were there any messages or situations or anything that you can pull out that were common among several of the pieces or that kind of shocked or wowed you? Yeah, some of them really just showed the contrasts. Um, So within it would show like what's healthy and what's unhealthy. And you could really see that popping out. Um, Overall, a lot of it was just really powerful in the unhealthy. You can see the hurt in a lot of this art. And as well as like Alicia said, the resilience too. One that really stuck out to me was a beautiful piece. And it said self-love in the middle. And I just think that's really important. And I think displaying teens art hopefully helps build their self-esteem too, to let them know that they're, you know, they're a survivor and they're an artist and we see them, we see their talent, we support them, we believe them. The art really in general told a story of how they came to be a survivor. And what's really wonderful too about all of that is like no two pieces were the same, right? And, and teen dating violence and abuse in general does not look the same for everyone. It is truly such an individual experience of what people are going through. And each piece was so different and really showed the spectrum of different, different things that kind of encompass dating violence or, or abuse. Talk us through some risk factors for teen violence. I think it's a really important question because something to remember is that anybody can be impacted by domestic abuse and anybody can be impacted by dating violence. Um, Even if you know all the red flags and you know what a healthy relationship is, um, people can be extremely manipulative and anybody can be impacted. That being said, youth who have grown up in a home with violence, um, youth who have experienced domestic violence growing up are at a greater risk of experiencing teen dating violence or an abusive relationship of any form in the future um, if there's no intervention. We do see that generational cycle. So if they just, if they haven't learned what a healthy relationship is and don't have um, healthy role models, it's really hard to know how to navigate a relationship. And you had mentioned before that, you know, part of your role in meeting with teens is to help build up their self-esteem. What role does a high self-esteem or low self-esteem play in that either risk of or cycle of dating violence or domestic abuse? That's a great question. I had a teen recently tell me, I know all the red flags. I know what a healthy relationship is, but do I care? And what she was telling me is she doesn't care enough about herself. Her self-worth right now is so low. 
Um, and I see that as an opportunity to just keep building her up because she does deserve a healthy relationship. She knows what it looks like. And I just truly believe that if we keep planting seeds and if she keeps being built up by people and, you know, working on seeing that within herself, she can have a healthy relationship too. And she can see that she does deserve it. What are some of those red flags or signs to look for when it comes to teen violence or abusive relationships? Yeah, so one of the biggest red flags to look for would be isolation. Um, Isolation from family or friends. So their partner is saying like, you can't hang out with this person or really kind of controlling who they can and cannot see. This oftentimes will lead to individual cutting friends out of their lives. And so really you're just kind of in this isolation bubble with you and your partner. Um, Some other things, some other warning signs to look for would be like checking somebody's cell phone, demanding their passwords or their lock code to their phone, uh, monitoring their social media, being extremely jealous, explosive temper, constant mood swings, being really possessive, pressuring them into doing things that they don't want to do. I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of really big warning signs or things that kind of come into play, but I would say isolation is one of the biggest ones. Um, Another one just to kind of keep an eye out for would be like any sort of change in behavior or withdrawal, really kind of shutting down, uh, not really talking to anyone about what's going on. So, I mean, and some of those are also signs or indicators of other issues too, like substance use, mental health struggles, depression. And over, especially over the last year with COVID, we've seen, you know, an increase in mental health needs, increase in substance use. Have you seen a shift or a change with, in our community related to COVID? What we've seen definitely with, um, our adult survivors is they're experiencing much more volatile situations. So the violence is so increased. Um, And I think isolation does play a big factor in that. So much just more intense abuse, any form of abuse is not okay. We're just seeing an increase in very high danger. Kind of emotional warfare is is consistent, but the violence you're seeing an increase in? Yes. And we've also seen, honestly, just a decrease in clients as well. Um, So we're seeing that in shelter, there's not um, a lot of people staying in shelter. Um, And also like youth referrals. I've gotten a lot of youth referrals that have just fallen off. You know, we follow up and I think that the parent just has too much going on. One more thing, even if it's something that's helpful, is still one more thing and it's too much. So my primary role with Breakwater is substance use prevention. And I've been reading a lot of information over the last year. I've seen some links between substance use and youth violence or abusive relationships. Is there a link between the two or what have you two seen locally or trends statewide or nationally? Well, what I've seen is sometimes with any stressor, um, including teen dating violence, teens turn to substance use, substance abuse as a coping skill, an unhealthy coping skill, but we do see that happening. Um, And like Alicia said, sometimes that abusive partner will pressure somebody into doing something they don't want to do. So we also have seen that too, like maybe this, this youth never wanted to use drugs at all. 
but their partner pressured them into it or threatened them, made them, forced them, coerced them. Um, that does happen. So I think it's just really important for us safe adults to recognize that and think about that bef before um, intervening, just knowing to approach it in a way of like, is there something going on? How can I help you? Just how you approach a situation can definitely play in a role of the outcome of that conversation or situation. Yeah, for sure. And we never want a teen to feel judged or, or um, yeah, we just want them to feel supported and that we, that we want them to know too, that we notice and we care and it's okay to like point out a change in behavior like that. Hey, I noticed that you are using a substance. What's going on? How can I help? So if, if we know someone or suspect that someone we know is in an abusive relationship, what can we do to help? One of the best things to do is to, you know, not be afraid to say something when you see something. That's really important. And there are a lot of really helpful statements and things that you can say to anyone who's impacted by an abusive relationship. Things like, you do not deserve to be treated like this. It is not your fault. I believe you. You're not alone. I'm here for you. I will do everything I can to help you be safe. How can I help you? What do you need from me? The biggest things that you can do are listen without judgment and validate that individual. Again, the, this is not your fault. You did not do anything to cause this to happen to you. It's really hard to hear those things. And a lot of times you may not have the right words to say, or you may not know what to say, but the biggest thing that you can do in that situation is to just listen. And if I am a teen in an abusive relationship or a violent relationship, where can I find help? You can talk with a safe adult. So whether that is a teacher, a parent, a school counselor, a neighbor, um, and also if none of those are an option or in addition to all those too, um, help is here at Christine Ann. We have a youth team who is ready to help. Um, we are very flexible in our approach. So people can call anonymously. They don't even have to tell us who they are. We can also meet by phone. We can meet virtually via video chat, or we can meet in our office locations. Um, there's a lot of ways that we can help. So definitely, if you are a teen experiencing abuse, just know that it is not your fault. It has never been your fault. And we are always here for you at Christine Ann. What services do you offer, not only for teens, but also for adults? And how can we support Christine Ann. As a nonprofit organization, we serve um, all individuals and families um, who are impacted by domestic abuse uh, throughout Winnebago and Green Lake counties. So that's our service area. But anyone from any other county is more than welcome to utilize our services. Um, that's really important to note too, because sometimes it's too unsafe to stay within your own county. So you may need to travel a little bit further for safety reasons. So we operate a 37-bed emergency shelter located in Oshkosh, um, and it's all of our services are 100% inclusive. So men, women, children, families, individuals of the LGBTQ community, everybody is welcome to utilize and access our services. So. Um, on top of our you know, 37 bed emergency shelter, we also have staff members that are here 24 seven to answer our, um, our helpline. So that is available to anyone to call if they're seeking safety support, just somebody to sit and listen to them. That's what we're here for. 
We also offer um, empowerment services. So for the individuals who do not need the safety piece of the shelter, maybe they have a safe place that they can stay, um, but they still need to meet with an advocate and get emotional support, options, resources. They can meet with one of our empowerment advocates. And we have two different satellite offices as well. So we have an office in Menasha located inside the Levin building. And we also have another office in Green Lake in the Town Square community building. So those are just two other locations that we're able to meet at um, and meet our clients kind of where they're at, especially if they're experiencing some of those um, transportation barriers and can't come to Oshkosh. So along with our empowerment services, we also offer legal services. And we have um, legal advocacy to help individuals navigate through the legal system, whether that is gaining a restraining order, harassment order, um, going through a divorce or custody case, whatever the situation may be, um, we have legal support here free of charge that can help individuals navigate through the legal system. Um, we're also able to go to court with individuals too and help them process through what's happening in that um, legal proceeding. And then as Shauna mentioned before, we also have a youth team. So when it's non-COVID related years, um, we are able to go into the schools, meet one-on-one -on -one with youth or in a group setting and just be that safe and supportive person like Shauna was saying before. One really great thing that we have and that we offer as well is support groups. So we offer support groups for adults, but we also offer a safe group for teens who identify as part of the LGBTQ community as well. So those are just some of the opportunities and things and services that we offer. And again, it is 100% free um, for anyone who may need us. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all that information with us. I have a couple of follow-up questions. Um, so you mentioned that you offer services and have support groups for LGBTQ plus community as well. And I'm curious, you know, sometimes, like I mentioned, we're, my world is kind of substance use prevention. And when you look at data, you see that, you know, many times there's a higher substance use rate within the LGBTQ community for a variety of reasons. I'm wondering if you see a difference in domestic abuse or teen dating violence within the LGBTQ plus community as well. Yes, the statistics um, reflect exactly what you said, that youth in the LGBTQ plus community do experience teen dating violence at a higher rate um, than their straight counterparts, I suppose. What we see is that sometimes youth are a little bit hesitant. Maybe they don't know that we're a safe space yet. And we, we are, we are an inclusive space. We see them, we, we, believe, we believe our survivors always. So we do see that trend as well. It's also tricky too, because I think often youth in the LGBTQ community don't tell anybody about it. Maybe they're not out yet. So how can they tell anybody they're in an abusive dating relationship if nobody even knows about their relationship? Um, it's really hard and those struggles are all totally valid. Um, and again, no judgment here ever. We are truly here to be a safe space. And like you said, sometimes that one supportive, consistent adult can make all the difference in somebody's life. So a couple of weeks ago, there were some news articles that I saw circulating around 
that was showing an increased rate of domestic violence during the pandemic. And I think there were actually sane nurses, the sexual assaults nurse examiners in the hospital systems that were interviewed about it and kind of talking about they've been seeing more and more clients come in, more and more patients come in throughout the pandemic related to sexual assault, domestic violence, things of that nature. Um, Do you guys have... Have you guys had a similar experience? I know you said your clients are actually down throughout COVID or you're having less people in shelter and referrals are kind of falling off through COVID. Um, Do you think there's a relationship there or is there anything maybe we can shed some light on? I don't even really know how to ask the question. I would say it has definitely been kind of like a, a roller coaster in terms of what we saw during the pandemic. So for example, like during the safer at home order, when that happened, um, we anticipated that our call volume and the volume of clients seeking safety shelter services were going to drop mainly because of the isolation factor. They're being monitored 24 seven in their homes. And so, um, getting the opportunity to call or, um, even get out of their house uh, was not there. They didn't have that opportunity like they normally would if they were to be going to work, right? And so because everything went virtual, people were working from home, we noticed a decrease in our call volumes that were coming through. And then as soon as that call, as soon as the safer at home order was lifted, um, we did see an increase of calls that were coming through our 24 seven hotline as well as some people that were seeking shelter services. Um, It has kind of tapered off, like Shauna said, where um, some things now are decreasing a little bit um, in terms of what our shelter is looking like, but that can change so quickly. I mean, there are times when we have two people in our 37 bed shelter and we have sometimes where we have 40 people in our 37 bed shelter. So it can honestly change in a day. Yeah. Also worth noting too, even though our shelter has slowed down, um, our empowerment advocates are so busy right now as are our legal advocates. So that means people who are not staying in shelter, but are still impacted by domestic abuse have these empowerment advocates and legal advocates that they can talk with. And they are very busy. They're very busy right now. There's a lot of people seeking support and help, and we are here for that as well. And when you um, when you talked about the how the sane nurses, you know, interviewed and said that they were seeing an increase, that is that's not a shock to myself or Shauna, especially since Shauna did talk a little bit about how the abuse um, was a lot more violent during this time. There were a lot of factors and increased stressful situations that people were put into that they have never had to experience before. And if you don't have healthy coping mechanisms and know how to properly handle all of the stress that is piling on top of you with now you are um, not only working from home or maybe you lost your job during this time, Um, now you're home 24 seven with your children and your abusive partner, there's so much happening there. And so um, the abuse did escalate in terms of a lot of physical violence and things like that. For the same nurses to be interviewed and saying that, you know, yes, uh, we are seeing an increase during this time. 
that's really no, that's not necessarily a, a surprise to our ears in terms of kind of what we were hearing, especially on an empowerment side of our empowerment advocates working with clients and just hearing about how much more violent uh, the scenarios were that were happening. And now you guys had mentioned earlier, and I think we all know that, especially if there's kids in the home, right? So an abuse between a husband and wife or whatever that pairing looks like, it, it affects more than just those two individuals, right? So if there's children in the home, it impacts the children. And you had mentioned, Shauna, that you know before COVID, you were able to go into schools and provide support programs in the schools, meet as groups or individuals or one-on-one. Obviously, with virtual schooling, that has not been an option for you. What do you anticipate seeing when you are able to return to a school setting and be in there? Do you anticipate a higher need, a lower need about the same of what you were seeing before? I anticipate a higher need um, because I think there's a lot going on in a lot of homes right now that nobody knows about. So I do anticipate when those kids are back at school, um, I hope that they find a safe adult to talk to about what's been going on. It's always okay to talk with a safe adult. So I do anticipate a greater need and we're ready for that. We are ready to go help kids once it's safe to go back into schools. We absolutely will. And again, in the meantime, we're still here in our office locations for appointments and by phone and video chat as well. And you had mentioned before too, that people can call you directly. Does that include teenagers? Are they able to call you directly and connect with an an advocate and support? Yes, absolutely. Anybody can call anonymously. Um, They don't even have to tell us that they are a teenager. You know, anybody can call. Anybody can call anytime. Um, And we can safety plan over the phone, process emotions, um, process that trauma, talk about coping skills, and just be there to listen and support. Um, So anybody can call anytime and talk with us directly. Is there anything else that the two of you would like to share about teen dating violence, Christine, Anne, or domestic abuse? One thing that kind of came to my mind as you two were talking was there's something that COVID, I think, brought to our agency, and it was uh, flexibility. I think the, uh, the way that our staff kind of hit the ground running with like, We need to pivot and figure out how we can still best serve our clients during this time of great need um, is so important for us to do right now. So it opened up some different doors that we didn't know we had before. So for example, um, like video chatting, that is something that we had never done prior. Um, We would do some appointments over the phone, but the majority of our stuff was in person. But when that no longer became safe for people or they didn't feel safe being in, in person because of... Um, COVID-19, we were able to figure out a safe way to video chat with our clients so that we're still able to kind of have that face-to-face interaction in a safe way. So I think that that's also helped um, the youth team, especially connect with youth in a very different way. And Ashana, you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, even it really helps parents as well, because Alicia, you had mentioned transportation barriers before. That's a real thing. If transportation is a barrier, we don't want that to be a problem. So we can just video chat, email a link, click on it, and we can connect like that. So that's been really cool. Um, I think a lot of youth right now are kind of video chatted out. Um, 
I get it. I mean, virtual school and virtual appointments and virtual hangouts, you know, that's a lot to stay on top of and just a lot of screen time too. So I have seen that where some of my teens even just prefer to talk on the phone and that's all right too. We always meet people where they're at. Thank you both so much for being here today and sharing all of this information on teen dating violence, domestic abuse, and the services you offer. Thank you so much for having us.